Many of you will know that that hymn that we just sung was the theme, became like the theme hymn of the Welsh revival. It was a time in which God moved in a very mighty way in the country of Wales, and the, um, the country was transformed by the gospel. That hymn happens to be my favorite hymn. Uh, and when I saw it on the podium tonight, I got excited. Um, I would be happy to listen to that hymn all day long. Uh, it's that kind of hymn for me. Helen knows I'll uh, get it up on YouTube and it'll be playing and I'm trying to work. Um, but these words are just magnificent concerning the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness like a flood. When the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood, who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he will never, never, never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. For me, I'm ready to go home. Uh, I've already been fed. <laughs> My soul is rejoicing in the Lord Jesus. Our God and our Father, we thank you for such a display of mighty love there on Calvary's mountain. We thank you that while men did the worst that they could do to our Savior, he could say, I lay my life down of myself. No one takes it from me. And oh, our God and our Father, we have come this evening to hear about him, to uh, hear from your word, and to be freshly touched in our hearts. And as we've sung together, who will, his love will never, never be forgotten. We thank you, our God, for the amazing grace that um, numbers us among the redeemed. We cannot explain it. We do not understand it. But we bow in the presence of such love and such grace that reached even to us. And so bless us as we're together. We thank you for the encouragement of the weekend. We thank you for the encouragement of your dear people. We just pray that your Holy Spirit might move in our hearts and open our hearts to receive the word we ask. For we ask it for the glory of our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. This has been a most encouraging weekend for us, and we want to thank you very, very much for all the work that you have done uh, on behalf of, uh, of the conference, um, your love and your kindness and your hospitality and your warmth, um, it's just wonderful. Um, in North Jersey, we have a number of assemblies like this and we enjoy fellowship together, but uh, it's just done our hearts good to come 3,000 miles and find the same love and warmth. So we can't thank you enough. And we just ask and pray that the Lord will work in a mighty way uh, as a result of uh, his time, uh, our time with you. So keep praying for us. Pray for CMML. Uh, we need prayer very badly. Uh, and I don't say that in any wrong way, just that we are conscious that we need constant prayer. We have a prayer meeting every day at CMML. Uh, we go through the Missionary Prayer Handbook, uh, and we pray for special requests that we've received through emails, 
And we just know that the work is carried on uh, only if the Lord carries it on. They that build the house labor in vain unless the Lord builds it. So we might work very hard, but we look to him, don't we? And uh, as you're praying, just every so often, think of CMML and think of the work and think of those who are, are serving him uh, in the foreign field. Um, tonight, um, we are going to look at something that I have uh, titled um, Paul's Missionary Lessons, and I've put missionary in quotes because yesterday, um, our brother Tom Clark reminded us that we have taken the word missionary and we've made it mean something that possibly it doesn't mean. We have said that Dorothy Woodhouse is a missionary, uh, and, uh, but Max is not a missionary. Now, Max, I'm just picking on you. But, but we have taken this idea of missionary which in its basic meaning, the word means to be sent. That's exactly what the word means. And we have made it to mean those who are sent to serve in what we call cross-cultural missions. So Tom reminded us yesterday that in fact, um, we are all missionaries. We are all sent. In John chapter 20, on that wonderful resurrection morning, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared, didn't he, to those women. And then when the saints were gathered, the, the disciples were gathered at the end of the day, that would have been the women and, and the apostles and others gathered. He appeared and he said to them some wonderful words. Of course, the words of Jesus are always wonderful. And he, but he said to them, peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me forth, so also I send you. What magnificent words for us to consider. As my Father sent me, I'm sending you in the same way, with the same character. That as I went in purpose in my life, so you were to go in purpose. As I went in a spirit of sacrifice, so you were to go in a spirit of sacrifice. As my Father sent me forth, I also send you. Now, it wasn't just the 11 apostles that were there. There were women gathered and others. Maybe there was 120. I don't really know. But that message that the Lord Jesus Christ gave, he gave to all of them. So whether I go home in our little town of Greenbrook, I am a person who has been sent by Christ in the same character with which he was sent by his Father. Doesn't that lift up our hearts this evening? Doesn't it give us a, a new sense of, uh, of purpose in our step? And then it says he, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He was going to give them the power with which he was going to send them forth. And praise the Lord, they went forth, didn't they? They did. There was no more amazing charge that he could have given them than the charge he gave them. Can you imagine saying to a group of 120 people, 
to go into all the world and preach the gospel and tell and make disciples of all the nations. You would say that's an impossible task. That's never going to happen. But it happened, didn't it? Praise the Lord. He sent them forth. And um, beloved, tonight, I think he would remind us that he is sending us forth as well. So what we would like to do is we would like to uh, learn from a man that the Lord sent, and that was the Apostle Paul. Um, I would say that in many ways, he's the great prototypical missionary, isn't he, uh, of the New Testament. And um, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 15, please. And we're going to read a little bit together. And our purpose tonight is to learn some lessons from the Apostle Paul because we are missionaries too, all of us sitting here. And to learn those lessons uh, that we might be more effective in the service that the Lord is calling us to. Uh, because the Apostle Paul was certainly a very fruitful servant for the Lord. We mentioned uh, at, at Avenue 54 this morning that... Uh, the, one of the amazing things that happened in the early days of the church was the conversion of the Apostle Paul. It was one of the, um, one of the outstanding happenings in the church. We know that because we have uh, recorded for us three times the story of his conversion. We hear more about his conversion than anyone, others, anyone else's. And it was most remarkable because what the Lord had done was to take someone who was uh, Satan's number one man in persecuting the church and take that man and make him his number one man. To take the man who uh, was breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the Christians and turn him into the, one of the most powerful preachers uh, of the early Christian era. And not only that, was this man entirely changed in his outlook and in his thinking, but the way in which it was done was remarkable. Paul was not converted by Peter preaching a powerful message or any of the other apostles. Paul was converted by a personal appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So I can just imagine in the early church as word got around that this man who had been so fearsome against the gospel was now preaching that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They would talk about it every time they got together. And rightly so, what the Lord had done. You can hardly think of anything that the Lord could have done in that early church to more confirm them and strengthen them in their faith. Stop for a moment and think of the person that you know is the greatest opposer to the gospel. That person who, when you speak to them, says, I don't want to hear any more about the gospel at all. We know those people. Some of them are in our families. 
Some of them are at work, some of them are at school. People that say, you know, Christianity is not real. Take that person. And just imagine for a moment that when you met them the next time, they said, I've got something to tell you. I've become a Christian. I love the Lord Jesus. And then when you say to them, and how did that happen? They say to you, well, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to me himself. Isn't that pretty amazing? Very amazing. Would your faith be strengthened? Amen. It would be strengthened that the Lord had moved in such a miraculous way. So the Apostle Paul then becomes a very important person for us to learn from in, in our life and in our, on our mission for the Lord. We've got a lot to learn from him. Twice he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So let's, uh, let's get to the word right away. In chapter 15 of Corinthians, he's going to describe to the Corinthians the message that he delivered to them five or six years before. In Acts 18, we get the historical record of the Apostle Paul coming to Corinth. And now five or six years later, he's writing to them. And let's listen to what he says. Moreover, brethren, verse 1 of chapter 15, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace towards me has not been in vain, but I have labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we preach, and so you have believed. Turn with me also to 2 Corinthians for just a few verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read the first four verses. He says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear. Here's the Apostle Paul saying, this is what worries me. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, 
so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. May God add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. The apostle clearly describes the message that he brought when he came to Corinth. And what we would like to consider tonight are four lessons that we can learn from these scriptures. Four lessons from the apostle Paul, the missionary. First of all, it uh, is essential if we are going to uh, serve the Lord effectively that we believe the message which we preach. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is that, that the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, it must be preached. It must be explained. The third is that that gospel message must be faithfully and completely presented. And then finally, we need to guard against Satan's counterfeit messages. When the Apostle Paul came to Corinth, uh, it was a city of about 600,000 people. It was strategically located and it was a center of commerce, a center of activity. Ancient writers have said that people went to Corinth to make money and to be successful. It was a city that was full of idolatry. It sounds very much like, like New York or like Los Angeles, doesn't it? And when Paul and Silas and Timothy came to Corinth and preached the gospel, they faced tremendous opposition and persecution. They followed their usual strategy of going to the, to the Jewish temple and, and reaching out to the Jews. But when difficulty and persecution arose, they went to a wider audience. And a wonderful thing, as we are told in Acts chapter 18, was that in the midst of all the difficulty that the apostle was having in, in preaching the gospel and reaching hearts, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, Be of good courage. I've got many people in this city. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? Somebody asked a question yesterday of, of, um, of Tom and, and Micah, said, you know, what about uh, the fact that you present the gospel to, it seems like, to thousands and hardly anybody's interested? Well, you know, the Lord would encourage our hearts tonight. I believe that he has many, many to be reached and he'd encourage us to keep on in our preaching. So the Apostle Paul, uh, we're told that many turned to the Lord and a church was established. And so in these verses, he's now describing, he says, I want you to remember what I did when I came. And of course, that becomes the heart of our lessons tonight. Because he's describing what he did when he came. And in, in the words of, of another translation, 
uh, verses 1 and 2, he says to them, he says, let me remind you about what I did when I first came. He says, I preached to you a message which you welcomed and believed, a message in which you still stand firm, unless, of course, you have believed a message that is not true in the first place. Verse 3, he says, I delivered to you in the first place that which I also received. When the Apostle Paul came to Corinth, he wasn't delivering a new philosophy to them, was he? He wasn't sharing to them, uh, with them a new religion. He was sharing with them the glorious news of a Savior who had come into the world to die for their sins. It was a message that the Apostle Paul was passionate about because he believed it himself. In the first chapter of, uh, uh, or the second chapter of this, uh, of this epistle, he says to them, he says, when I came, he said, I didn't come with, with craftily prepared words. He didn't, said, I didn't come in excellency of words. He said, I wanted to, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the heart of the message which the Apostle Paul delivered. And that was the message that had captured Paul's heart. Paul was passionate about the gospel. If we are going to be successful in our service for the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be passionate about the gospel. And more than that, we must be passionate about the one who is the very center of the gospel itself, the Lord Jesus Christ. We must believe the message which we are presenting. And the message that we present, we must be consistent with it in our lifestyle. The Apostle Paul was consistent with his message. He lived a sacrificial lifestyle. He didn't look for money. He didn't ask for it. He could say, couldn't he, to the, um, to the elders at Ephesus, these hands have ministered to my own wants and needs. First lesson we hear from the apostle and learn from the apostle Paul is that we must believe the message that we are speaking. Just, uh, just two weeks ago, I, I received a short email from a young servant of of the Lord doing pioneer work in a predominantly Muslim country in Africa. Um, and he wrote of many of the challenges there uh, in the work and many of the difficulties and obstacles to sharing the gospel in a, in a Muslim society. But I want you to listen to just the last sentence of his email. It caught my attention. He said, I have been cheered today by the line of an old hymn. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. You see, it is that spirit of loving and knowing the Savior that is key to our being able to share the gospel. The second point that the Apostle Paul says uh, is that he preached 
the good news. Um, I'm a little out of whack here. Uh, he, he preached the good news. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received. And then in verse 11, therefore, whether it is I or any of the other apostles, so we preached, and so you believed. The gospel must be explained. This is a part of being successful that we cannot overlook. The gospel must be explained. A few years ago, um, I had an opportunity to, to visit uh, some assemblies in Africa and visited Dorothy. This is at Chit, not at Kalini. Yes, I, I re recognize that. Only Dorothy would know that this old, dear old sister is at Chitokoloki, not at Kalini. But the story is still the same. Okay. She's a sister that um, I was told was maybe well over 100 years old. Uh, is she with the Lord now? Yes, she is with the Lord now. But um, she uh, had a fantastic memory. And uh, the story that was told to me was that uh, she would, uh, in her younger days, uh, go, to the, go to the meeting and hear, hear the message, and then take that message around in a circuit to the villages and repeat the message in her visits to the villages each day. See, she had a message to tell them because the gospel must be explained. The love and compassion of God can be shown in the works which we do to help people and meet their needs. And certainly that's an important part of our testimony, isn't it? But that's not enough by itself. The love of God can be shown in reaching out to um, very needy people, whether it's through schools and orphanages, whether it's those who are on the front line of helping to reach uh, those who are sick with Ebola. The love and compassion of God can be seen and demonstrated. The Lord Jesus did that, didn't he? He did that in his uh, healing of the sick. The multitudes came to him and they were healed by his words. How, uh, what wonderful compassion was seen by the Lord Jesus. But he also preached. The righteousness of God, the meaning of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the need for salvation from sins, the need for sanctification, all these things have to be taught. And the Apostle Paul says that when I came, I preached the gospel to you. I explained it to you. There is a, um, a quote that sometimes we hear. Preach the gospel at all times and, and if necessary, use words. You've likely heard that quote. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. So this is 
a quote that is attributed to St. Francis, but those who have studied his writing say that you can't find it in his writings at all. But this is a quote that really um, is not very helpful at all. Because what it does, it takes the uh, demonstration of kindness and love to people and puts it over against the preaching and sharing of the gospel. The fact is that both of these things go together. There is a desperate need in the heart of every man, woman, and child, and that is that their sins need to be dealt with before a holy and righteous God. The gospel explains how that happens. There's a tremendous um, example for this in the uh, ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 2. You know it very well. They were crowding around, to the Lord, around the Lord and he was at a house and there were four friends who knew, who had a four men who had a friend who was a paralytic. You remember, remember the story. And they wanted to bring him to Jesus. Why? So that he would heal them. Heal him. But they couldn't get there, so they tore up the roof and they let him down. And scripture is most uh, wonderful. It says that Jesus, seeing their faith, he says to the young man, son, he said, your sins are forgiven. Now, that's not why they had done all that work. They had done all that so that they might hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, you are healed, take up your bed and walk. But the Lord Jesus knew the greatest need of that young man, and that was that his sins would be dealt with. He needed forgiveness of sins, and he found it with the Savior. A number of years ago, Helen and I were listening to a well-known preacher in the UK, and he was giving a wonderful message uh, on, on that portion of scripture. And he suggested that when we get to heaven, we should make a point of seeking out that young man and talking to him. He said that when you talk to him, he will tell you that if the Lord had never said to him, take up your bed and walk, he had dealt with the biggest problem in his life, and that was the issue of his sins before a holy and righteous God. It's wonderful to know our sins forgiven, isn't it? Wonderful to know that. Do you know there's a world out there that needs to hear that there is a Savior that forgives sins? There is a Savior who on Calvary's mountain shed his precious blood, shed for rebels, shed for sinners, shed for me. I, I praise the Lord for that. Well, there's a world that's got to hear that. And you know, beloved, we, we have to tell them that. We've got to tell them that. And so the apostle says that uh, I, I preach to you the gospel. And then the third point is that we must learn from him is that the good news must be faithfully and completely presented. Verses 3 and 4, someone has said, are the clearest explanation of the gospel, the good news that you will find anywhere. First of all, of first importance, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
Christ had a purpose in his work. We know this and we love this truth, don't we? The divine Son of God became man for a purpose. And that was to give his sinless life a ransom for sinners. Boy, what a message. What a glorious message. The transformational message of the gospel is that while we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, there's an answer in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord did not come to give us the most sublime teaching in the world. He did do that. He also gave us the example of a perfect life before God. But why did he come? The Apostle Paul says he came, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He came to give his life sacrificially for a lost humanity. Do you know that truth is being lost in many churches in America today? No longer are people told of their sins. No longer are they reminded that they must repent before a righteous and holy God. That's, the Apostle Paul says, that's the message I presented to you. That's the message you believed, and that's the message in which you stand. That's the message that took heathen Corinthians and turned them into an assembly of the Lord's people. It was that message. Listen to what he says to the Corinthians. He says, in, um, earlier in, in the second epistle, he says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sins or who worship idols or who commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But, he says, these were some of you, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That was the message that changed them. For a number of years, I have had an opportunity to be uh, connected with a mission in New York City, New York City Rescue Mission. It's been going on for 135 years, and it is mission right down in the downtown part of New York. In fact, it's close to the Bowery. The interesting thing is that the Bowery is being gentrified now. The Bowery is not what it was when I started working in New York uh, way back in the 1960s. But this mission was established by a man named Jerry McCauley. Jerry McCauley was a thief that ended up in one of the notorious prisons of New York called Sing Sing. And while he was there, he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior. And he and his wife, Myra, established a mission way back over 135 years ago. And it was a mission dedicated to reaching out to homeless people, providing a meal, and if possible, a place to sleep, 
and faithfully sharing the gospel night after night after night. Wondrous work has been done for the Lord, still being done there. The stories of transformation, how people have been set free from addictions and difficulties, are the stories of those who have received Christ as their Savior. That's the power to salvation. The Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Sharing a meal, giving them a place to sleep, is a wonderful part of the work. But if the gospel was left out, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't meet the needs of desperate men and women. So that's uh, point, number, point number three that we must remember in our testimony for the Lord. The final point is that uh, Satan has attractive counterfeit messages. In the second chapter, uh, second epistle of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul speaks of a very deep concern which he had for them. And the language which he uses is most interesting, isn't it? He says, bear with me in a little folly. I'm not sure exactly why he says that, but he says, as it were, just put up with what I've got to say for a few minutes. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul saying that to a church that he had established? He said, just would you listen carefully to me for, for just a few minutes? He said, I have a, a deep concern about you. My heart of love is that you might be a chaste virgin for Christ. That you might be pure in your affections for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm concerned that someone's going to turn you away from that. And he says, somebody will come and preach another Jesus. And, and he said, you'll put up with it. Some of the other translations are, are very interesting if you go out on... Um, on Bible Gateway or something and just pull up all those translations and put them side by side. One of the translations says, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even a different gospel. Beloved, this is a great problem in the church today. And we need to be aware of it. There are seductive, counterfeit gospels. Maybe the danger is even greater when the Apostle Paul than when the Apostle Paul was alive. Both Peter, John, and Paul warn carefully at the end of their writings about false teachers. Have you ever noticed that? Peter says that there are many false teachers, and yet we are sadly often naive about what is going on. Just, uh, we had Micah Tuttle and Amy here with us the other day, just uh, yesterday. You remember what, he, what Micah told us? That uh, Bert and Colleen Elliott had gone to, to preach in the, in the jungle villages of Peru, and uh, assemblies had been established, and, and the gospel had been preached and assemblies established. But then when Bert and Colleen went away, and he came, he noticed that the work had almost fallen apart. How it had fallen apart through false teaching. 
our culture challenges the truth of the gospel in so many ways. We find that there are gospel preachers that tell us that prosperity is God's objective for the believer. No, that's not God's objective for us. God's objective for us is that we might be made like Christ. That's his objective. And he uses difficulties and trials. He uses suffering. Why? To form us like Christ. Prosperity is not the end of the gospel, in spite of the fact that there are so many in America that say that. There are other voices that tell us that in the end, love will win out. It was a book written like that. In the end, love wins. And that everything is going to be all right for everyone. No, that is not true. That is not true. Heaven is a real place and so is hell. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life are cast forever into the lake of fire. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the truth of the word of God. Other Bible teachers make, or biblical, make, make biblical Christianity trivial. They preach a self-centered Christianity instead of a Christ-centered life of discipleship. Thousands flock to hear those messages tonight in the United States. Mainline churches that held to orthodox truth of Christianity are now abandoning it. We have churches in our towns that stood for something for as long as we can remember. And they're basically falling apart because they're wanting to be inclusive. They're wanting to be understanding and accepting of everybody. The gospel is under attack. We sometimes think of the fact that those who serve abroad uh, are on the very front lines, and, and they are, but the front line has come home to us. And it's time for us to recognize that the truth of the word of God takes precedence. The Apostle Paul rightly saw that there was a battle for the truth, and we need to see this as well. So four lessons from the Apostle Paul. Four lessons were that he personally believed the message which he preached. I think the Apostle Paul would have been one of the most exciting, attractive men that you and I could ever meet. F.F. Bruce wrote a very interesting a biography of the Apostle Paul. I don't know if any of you follow F.F. F. Bruce's writings, but they're very, very good. And he entitled it, The Apostle of the Heart Set Free. And some people will say, well, the Apostle Paul was a very austere man. He was a man that was very rigid in his ideas. Those are not people reading the New Testament. The Apostle Paul was a man with a big heart. He loved people, and he loved the gospel. He could say to those elders, he said, I cease not admonishing each one of you with tears. 
I would love to be in an assembly with the Apostle Paul. His care and love for the church. His love for the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times, beloved, you know, we, we quote that verse. And we quote it with deep longing in our hearts. The Apostle Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not only for me, but all who love the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say truly in our hearts, O oh Lord, I want that said of me one day. I want to be able to say that. Well, that apostle Paul was a man who loved the truth. So he loved the message. He preached it. He knew it had to be preached. He was faithful in expounding the whole counsel of God. I have not, he said, held back anything of sharing with you the whole counsel of God. And then finally, he knew, he knew there were counterfeit messages. And he wasn't naive about it, and he warned about it. Four lessons from the Apostle Paul. Let's just close with the uh, final verse of this uh, this wonderful chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, one of my favorite verses. I have lots of favorite verses. I, I admire people who said, this is my favorite verse, and I, I have a favorite verse every day almost. I, it's, it, the Bible is so great, but this one is really high up. At the end of this wonderful chapter of reminding them of his preaching and reminding them of the truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, telling them about the fact that we also will share in that resurrection. Chapter 15 is a glorious chapter. Christ the firstfruits and then those that are our Christ that is coming. I say in my heart, I'm one of those, Lord. I belong to you. And he gets to the end of the chapter and now how is he going to close it? What is he going to say? Listen to these words. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, abounding always in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let us labor for the master. He's coming back soon, isn't he? Let us serve him with all our hearts until that day we see him face to face. Oh, our God and our Father, we praise you and thank you for such a glorious hope. Face to face with Christ in glory, face to face, what will it be? Oh, our hearts look forward to that day, but Lord, help us to be faithful to you until that day. Help us to labor for you, labor for the master, Labor for the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Take us, our God and our Father, to our homes in safety, we pray. May we go forward in a new week, renewed, energized. Let our eyes be fixed on Jesus, the leader and completer of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. Oh, blessed Savior, let us follow you, we ask in your precious and worthy name. Amen.